With the festive Christmas celebration behind us, our eyes look ahead to a new year. And today on Insight for Living, you'll hear Chuck Swindoll point us toward 2014. The psalmist said to his God, Lord, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And that's our focus in today's message. And it's certainly our intention every day on Insight for Living as we face the realities of our mortality and as we search the scriptures for wisdom. Chuck begins today's program by reading two selected passages, followed by the sermon, Another Year, Get a Life. Today we're um, on the subject of a new year as we stand uh, here at the cusp of it, leaving an old one behind, and I have a couple of scriptures I want to call your attention to for reading. One is in chapter 90 of the Psalms, if you will locate that and then place your finger there and locate James chapter 4. James is tucked away between the letter to the Hebrews and then Peter's first letter over near the back of your Bible, James 4, and then uh, Psalm number 90. I'll be reading today from the New Living Translation, and as we read the scriptures, may we stand together. Psalm 90 begins, Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals, for you a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. Verse 10. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Verse 12. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And then the last few verses of James chapter 4, verse 13. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and, and we'll stay there a year, we will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow. Your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live, and we will do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans, all such boasting, is evil. 
Our hope is that the Lord will open our eyes to these two sections and one other as we look to the past, the present, and the future this morning. You're listening to a special time-sensitive message from Chuck Swindoll, looking ahead to a new year. For helpful resources on today's topic, go online to insightworld.org. And now the sermon, Another Year, Get a Life. Some moments in life are absolutely mesmerizing. As we stand there in that epical moment, we find ourselves gaining a fresh perspective on things. We see things as we had not seen them before. Uh, and objectivity comes that takes the place of what was once uncertainty and maybe even a touch of confusion. We're there at that moment, and it is as if time, if we could possibly freeze it, stands still. And we see things as we've not seen them before. In a wonderful book titled Recapture the Wonder, Ravi Zacharias writes of such a mesmerizing moment in his life. One brilliantly sunny day, I, I was driven from Cape Town to very near Land's End in South Africa, Cape Point. As my colleague and I stood there staring into the wild blue yonder, the sight was utterly breathtaking. Yes, I've seen the Taj Mahal and many of the other so-called wonders of the world, but this was sheer enchantment. Whether it was because we were not expecting such a banquet for the eyes, or whether it was just some preconditioning from a busy day, I wouldn't venture to analyze. All I know is that the scene affected both of us in the same way. We stood at the edge of the land and watched as the waters of the calm Atlantic and the restless Indian Ocean collided into one massive torrent of fluid strength. The power of the current almost visible to the naked eye. That body of water has been the graveyard of many a mariner trying to navigate his way around the globe. The endless horizon, the, the, the borderless blue and turquoise of the mighty waters and the frothy white tips of the crashing waves as they collided against each other. The scene from the world's end seemed to overwhelm us with a stupendous sense of awe. For seemingly unexplainable reasons, my eyes filled with tears. I was in the throes of enjoying the wonder and vastness of creation. I felt at once both dwarfed and elevated. Dwarfed because my entire stature as a human being seemed so diminished compared to the display of beauty and power before me, but elevated because I could revel in this glorious 
sight. I hope it isn't overextending the point when I say coming to the end of one year and standing on the brink of another is not unlike that. The past is, is like that vast Indian Ocean. Waves are high and the memories are vivid and, and the currents are deep and they're filled with things like uh, regret, disappointment, a touch of guilt, perhaps even a, a number of days that we want to forget, but they haunt us and the water is turbulent as we look back. And then we turn at this juncture and we look in the other direction and we see the placid, calm, not yet navigated waters of a new year stretching out before us. There's hardly a ripple as we look ahead. We do not know what that holds for us. If our memories are good, we do recall much of this past year. And if you're like me, you're happy to wave goodbye. Good. Gone. Well, at least depending on how we deal with it, it's gone. And we have a welcome mat out in front of our hearts for a a brand new, unused set of 12 months. Think of it. Not one day of it yet lived for however long God may give us. Here's a thought worth pondering. Standing as we do today, we are probably as objective as we will be for the next 12 months. We're not engaged in the new year yet, nor are we really reliving the past. That's gone. We are at this in-between juncture, which is a good place to be. We are here, I repeat, perhaps more objective than we will be at any time in these next 12 months. And I want to draw on that as we think about where we have been, where we are, and where we are going. I'm sure you'd be uh, among the first to agree that change is in order in light of the things we have learned from our past. And there's no better time to prepare for the future than at this point present moment. I want this to be the focus of the message today as we are in between the years. I want to look back with the help of Psalm number 90, a couple of three statements that will be, I hope, helpful for us. I want to look around at where we are with the help of Philippians chapter 3, Paul's great words regarding the one thing he focuses on in life. And then I want to look ahead into those waters that we've not yet 
stepped into thanks to James chapter 4. I'll give you a couple of thoughts to hang uh, in your mind at each of these places. Hopefully you'll, you'll not soon forget the moments we spend together here. First, Psalm 90. Join me in the uh, scriptures as well as in the moment of looking back. Look back over the year as it's unfolded. I want to make a couple of three very simple and for some rather elementary observations. Uh, the first is that this is, a, this is a psalm written by Moses. Very unusual. David wrote most of the psalms. Asaph wrote many. Solomon a few, and a number of them are anonymous. Perhaps Moses wrote others. This is the only one that the superscription, just below the number of the psalm, applies to Moses. By the way, when you read the psalms, always read the superscription. It will sometimes give you the situation in which the psalm was written, occasionally just the composer. Remember, it's a song. We don't know when Moses wrote the song. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing he wrote it long beyond the, the age of 80. I don't believe he wrote it in Egypt when he was still growing up as an adopted son of the, the grandson of the Pharaoh. I, I, I don't believe he wrote it while he was keeping his father-in-law's sheep in the wilderness. I think he wrote it in the midst of leading the people of Israel to the land of promise. When along the way it was very important that he and God stay on speaking terms together. When you've got a a church of two million people, you and God need to do a lot of talking together. And it's assumed that there were about that many that Moses served as the shepherd and the guide of. So Moses wrote the psalm. Second, please observe, the psalm is a prayer. How do I know that? Lord, through all the generations, verse 1. O Lord, verse 13. So he is calling on the Lord in his psalm as he writes this uh, piece of ancient music without a melody. This is the lyrics of a song which is why it finds its way into the Psalms. I've learned, by the way, to uh, handle prayers very carefully when they are recorded. Uh, Like great songs, they're not meant to be analyzed, they're meant to be imbibed, understood. By the way, the second person singular flows all the way through this psalm, you, you, Lord, you, and none other, you, you. So he's, he's praying to his Lord. Third would be obvious, the Lord himself is the main subject. Not Moses, not the people he's guiding, not the events they're dealing with. Remember, it's a man with his God in the wilderness. Now let's see what he says about God. Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Immediately you know we're looking back. 
through all the generations as we think back, way back, our granddad, our great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, and on and on, through all the generations, you've been our home. Before the mountains were born, perhaps he's at the foot of Sinai or one of the other mountains in the wilderness. And if you ever travel there and go deep into the southern part of Judea and beyond, you will see mountains that uh, jut out from the barren wilderness and the desert. Maybe at the base of one of those. He said, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. Love the way that ends. First thought I want to leave with you as we look back is that God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. Had we been God, this year would not have been what it was. We would have changed things. If I'd had my way, none of you would have had any suffering. How's that for a dumb idea? You know what that means? We would not have learned anything. For we learn through the things we suffer. But God is God. And he makes certain in the passing of time that all of us go through periods when we must turn to him. When we don't know the answer. When we have reached the end of our own rope. God is God. We are not. In case you need a contrast, he is infinite. We are all finite. He is eternal. We are all temporal and transitory. He's transcendent. We are limited by time, space, and age. God is ageless and timeless, transcendent through all of time. He is immutable, meaning unchanging. We change constantly. We are forever changing. He does not change. He is God. These are called the attributes of God. It's a word for qualities or characteristics. This psalm extols the attributes of God. Think of the psalm as a resume of God. And he calls our attention to several things that mark God, characterizing him. Uh, as, as you move into a new year, I would urge you to focus each week on another of God's many attributes. We speak often of Christ, and we should. We teach on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we should. But rarely are we reminded to think upon God the Father and the things that characterize his existence which has always been. I like the way Brennan Manning writes of this. There is a chronic temptation to reduce God to human dimensions, to express him in manageable ideas. Human reason seeks to understand, to reduce everything to its own terms, but God is God. He is more than a superhuman being with an intellect keener than ours. He is unique, uncreated, infinite, 
totally other than we are. He surpasses and transcends all human concepts, considerations, and expectations. He is beyond anything we can intellectualize or imagine. That is why God is a scandal to men and women, because he cannot be comprehended by a finite mind. In today's terms, you can't get your head around him. He is bigger than all that you can imagine. He is greater than the greatest, stronger than the strongest, unpredictable, at the same time holy, righteous, pure, and just. God is God, and we are not. There are no superlatives too grand, too overstated for God. God is God, and we are not. Those are a few of the abiding principles we picked up in today's study with Chuck Swindoll. He's titled his talk, Another Year, Get a Life. Find the complete study online when you go to insightworld.org. Chuck is in the studio today to share a personal illustration. In fact, we've set aside several minutes, so don't miss out. As Chuck said earlier, the scriptures are absolutely amazing if we will simply pause, ponder, meditate, and pray. And that's one of the many reasons we're pleased to offer a fresh and relevant book written and published by our ministry team in Canada. It's called Help Me Understand, How the Bible Speaks to My Pain. When we actually spend time poring over biblical answers, God will dissipate our worries, our fears, our churning. And we'll quit trying to control the uncontrollable. God is God, and we are not. Addressing 10 relevant topics, 10 pressing issues, this is something you'll want to read and then pass along to a son or daughter, or perhaps a colleague who's searching for answers. The book deals with issues like forgiveness, guilt, and worry. If you're listening in the United States, call 1-800-772-8888. And I'll give our complete contact information in just a moment. Cynthia and I were touring Israel, and as our motor coach passed through the Judean wilderness, I spotted some people living in tents and tending goat flocks. Our local guides sneered, Bedouins. So, novice that I am, I ask, have you ever met one? I will never forget his answer. Why in the world would I want to do that? They're Bedouins. As we drove on, it struck me that the Bible has another name for Bedouins, shepherds. Contrary to most Christmas pageants, shepherds weren't nice, clean people walking around in terry cloth robes and, and rubber sandals. They were, well, if you will allow me, worthless nobodies, the lowest form of humanity. Society's leftovers who looked after smelly, ugly animals. Since that day I was in Israel, I've never read Luke's gospel the same way. There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So we read in Luke chapter 2. 
The shepherds must have been stunned, not because they were terrified, but because the Lord had proclaimed his message to all people, including even them. In light of God's boundless grace, they responded. Luke tells us that they were compelled to go to Jesus, and then after having met him, they were compelled to make him known. You know what? I have that same passion. That's why I point people to the Savior every day on our broadcast. Hey, (laughs) His grace compels me, and His grace makes all the difference. Look at how one woman responded. Cheryl wrote this to us. I'm just a nobody single mom who works overnight in a grocery store stocking shelves. But this is where I listen to Insight for Living. The messages bless me and make me feel strong when I feel so very weak. Mm. Touches me. There are millions of people like Cheryl who need to hear that God's Word is for all people. That's the message God is proclaiming through Insight for Living, and you can actually be a part of His work by giving a generous end-of-the-year donation today. And after an extremely challenging year, our need is now urgent. So please, send your generous Christmas gift before the 31st of December. As you ponder the Christmas story this season, I urge you to remember those who feel like Bedouins, like worthless nobodies nobody cares for. This December, hey, let's you and me together be compelled like those first shepherds, to proclaim the joyful good news. God's grace is for all. Compelled to proclaim. Thank you, Chuck. And to respond to the need right now, go online to insight.org. Or if you're listening in the United States, you can call 1-800-772-8888. Remember, when you give, be sure to request the book, Help Me Understand, How the Bible Speaks to My Pain. If you're listening in the United States, call 1-800-772-8888. And online, go to insight.org. Chuck Swindoll's message, titled, Another Year, Get a Life, continues Friday on Insight for Living. The preceding message, Another Year, Get a Life, was copyrighted in 2012 and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2013 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide.